0: Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview, or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. So I have a, a memory, bear with me if you will, for a childhood story. Uh, I do anything to avoid uh, sports analogies in in preaching because I just feel like that's done way too much in our culture. So, um, so I had to dig deep for this one. But uh, when I was a kid, the Castle Rock Library would uh, set up a reading race in the summer. And they had this wallpaper that lined the tops of the walls all around the library. How many of you, just out of curiosity, have been in the Castle Rock Library? That's more than I would have expected. Good, good on you. What a great church. Um, they, the rest of you add that to your list to do this week. Stop by the Castle Rock. I think it's still open. I hope it's still open. Um, anyhow, they would put uh, like a wallpaper racetrack around the top of the library walls, above all the bookshelves. And then they had uh, like little paper cars that had different kids from the community's names on them. And you would come in at the beginning of the summer, your parent would sign you up for the reading race. And then throughout the summer, you would, I guess, show up and tell the librarian how many pages you read. And, and then they would move your car around, around the track. Um, I wasn't known for driving fast in that. Typical in that particular scenario, but my older brother was a book worm, and so uh, every summer his his race car would always be, uh, you know, laps. I think he would lap me, uh, going around the book. But he was he was such a voracious reader, and he could conquer pages because you got you got to move forward for however many pages you read. He could conquer pages like it was. It was nothing else. Uh, Anytime we drove in the family car somewhere, he would have a book out, he would be reading it, uh, especially when we were driving through things like a national park or some beautiful scenery, he would have his book out and be reprimanded by my parents to put the book away and look out the window. I I couldn't imagine a parent today reprimanding their kid for reading because this was before they all had screens, right? And so uh, now you would be like, oh, he's reading a book, just just let him do his thing. It's all right, but, anyways, um, I thinking about reading, reading pages, reading races, and I I am an achiever, and although I didn't perform very well in the reading races in the summers at the Castle Rock Library, I do like to get things done. And uh, several years ago, I discovered uh, reading the Bible in a year, and I thought, man, that that would feel like a pretty good accomplishment, and uh, would probably make me a better pastor if I did this every year, and so. I did it for several years, and then, um, and then I just felt like I was reading it. I, I was just reading it to get it done, right? Like I'm just trying to add the pages and move up in the race, uh, which does definitely like scratch the itch to need to achieve in my life. But it didn't necessarily feel like it was the most spiritually fruitful way to do this. And so I was invited uh, a couple of years ago to do a read the Bible in two years. So you slow it down. You read the Bible in two years. You don't read as fast and and maybe it takes away some of the achievement factor, but you're able to, to read a little bit more in it. And and one of the reasons that appealed to me, not just because it lessened my to-do list for the day, but was because I've been learning lately that uh, that I need to be reading the scriptures differently than I had in my life before. You know, the Bible was, was written as a, a type of literature that's, it's not like a novel where you race through the pages. It's it's much deeper than that. It's it's written as the type of thing that you're meant to, to meditate on, to go through slowly, to repeat and repeat what you've read and, and to be steeped in it until, uh, until things come out. Um, you know, you're meant, it was written and preserved by people who had an understanding that those who are going to read this book are really committing to it. They're meant to be so familiar with the scriptures that you would You'd be able to see the footnotes, even if the footnotes weren't there. You know, every now and then you're reading your Bible and there's a funny little footnote in it, a little letter that's hovering there, and you look at the bottom of the page and it, it maybe says something like, this word could be this or that, or uh, or the cross-references. You see the cross-references without even needing them. They, it'll say, this verse is similar language to what's in that verse and that verse. And all of those modern helps have been added to the text, and they're really Helpful for those of us who live in a day and an age where uh, a verse a day makes the doctor go away. I mean, you just I'm just gonna, I'm going to read my verse for the day, and that's going to be it. Like that is not how this this book was understood uh, to be, or the purpose of it. it. It wasn't meant to pick out 25 words for the day, or memorize 25 words this week, and that's all that you do. It was you were meant to dig into it. When Jesus, when you read words and Jesus says something like, it is written, and then he says something, you're meant, this book was written with the idea of the audience who reads it would would right away be like, oh yeah, Jesus said it's written, and then he said that. I know where that's written. I know what he's talking about. I remember what came before it and what came after it, and that gives me context for what Jesus is saying right now. There's a story in Genesis chapter 13 where... Um, where Abraham, who's a pretty big deal in the book of Genesis, and his nephew Lot, who's also a big deal, uh, but for other reasons. Uh, Abraham and, and his nephew Lot have been living in the promised land, and uh, things are going pretty good. The, the, the flocks are growing. They're both herdsmen, shepherds. And uh, and, and their men who work for them, tending their flocks, begin to fight with one another because the, there's only so much good grass and, and good land for grazing and and Abraham's like look lot you and I we're family we shouldn't be fighting over this land I'm sure there's plenty there's enough here to go around you you look across the land and you pick what you want and whatever you take I'll go the other direction and so then uh, in the account in Genesis 13 it says lot looks and sees the Jordan Valley and he He sees it and he sees that this is going to be the perfect place to be a shepherd. And when you read that mind, you're supposed to be so familiar with scripture that when you read that line, you're like, oh no, Lot's in big trouble. Because to this point in the book of Genesis, whenever somebody looks at something, a woman named Eve, and sees that it's good, when somebody looks at something and judges for themselves This is what I need, bad things happen, without exception. This theme continues on through the Old Testament and into like the book of Judges, where as the most damning phrase the author can say about the nation of Israel is that everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. Every time... I read in Scripture somebody seeing something and making a decision for themselves, whether that's good or not. My alarm bells are going off now. Oh no, bad things are going to happen. The stories in Scripture are meant to be uh, read and reread. You are meant to be familiarizing yourself with these stories and really digging in deep because these stories are deep and the themes are complex and they're intertwined. This this book was not written at a first grade reading level. It wasn't designed for somebody to be able to just pick it up and read something and I came away with something great today. Every now and then that kind of thing happens. But more often than not, the biggest pushback I get to, or the excuse I get for people not wanting to read scripture is, man, it's hard. It's hard to read this. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. Reading scripture is difficult. It's dense. It's heavy. And I'm, t- I'm tempted to, you know, make excuses and be like, no, it's not. You just need to dig into it. It's, it's going to be really easy. You'll understand it but that's not the case that's not how it's designed it's meant to be that way now it's like yeah actually it's it's supposed to be hard so what are you going to do i'm i'm saying all this because uh i we're going to we're going to reread uh the prayer from Ephesians chapter 3 we've been doing uh 40 days of fullness a six week series on experiencing the fullness of God it's it's kind of based on Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3 and we spent uh, if you're doing the daily devotionals, every Sunday we come back to this verse in the daily devotionals. And we spent several weeks leading up to this series talking about this verse. And, and I felt somewhat inspired to do it this week. And I thought, we've all read it before. We, we've, we've read it enough times. We've talked about this enough. Is there really another reason to come back to it for another week? But, uh, but I'm reminded that the scriptures were designed to invite you to read it and reread it, to look at it again. So where there might be some risk in you being bored, reading or looking at a familiar passage of text this morning, there's also the reality that the people who wrote this book, particularly the God who inspired it, designed it to be written in such a way so that on the 53rd time of reading it, something new would pop out. It's designed in some ways hold back or, or uh, disguise the true treasures of wisdom until you come to the 74th time of reading it. And then something clicks and you're like, oh, I see it now. So I want to read this familiar passage again today. And I want you in your mind to really focus on repeated themes or repeated words that you hear because there's something for us to dig out of this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What are some repeated words that you heard in there? It probably was helpful if you were able to pull it out and read along, because uh, hearing is not always the easiest. Power is a repeated theme, yes. Any others? Pray, yes. Paul's praying. That's great. There's a word that happens three times, starts with an L and rhymes with dove. Love is a repeated word. Um, I would I would encourage you guys, Psalms is a great place to do this. I would encourage you maybe something to experiment with in your Bible reading in 2024, I guess. It's not. never too early to start talking about 2024, is reading a Psalm and looking for the repeated words, the repeated patterns. That's, that's a huge part of of how the Hebrew mind composed this stuff and, and an important takeaway. But uh, but a couple of things that that uh, repeated themes that I, I landed on. One, love, like I said, is one of the most repeated words. Um, and, and I'm reminded of this idea that, that the Scriptures are trying to communicate to us who God is. And they're not trying to communicate that in a vacuum, but they're trying to communicate that within a world where The people that are around them, the cultures that are around them, the the other nations, everyone has an idea about who God is, including those that feel that he is not. They have an idea about who God is. And Scripture is trying to communicate to us that God is love. This is who God is. This is the claim of Scripture. God is love. God's character is defined by self-giving, self-sacrificing, others-centered love. In the very first two sentences of this prayer, we see the Father, he's praying to the Father, that uh, praying to the Father uh, from whom every family derives his name. Um, second sentence, and I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. So we have father, we have spirit, and we have son. Actually, if you, if you dig into the, the language of the first couple of verses of the entire scriptures, in the first few verses, you have father, spirit, and word, who is the son. Um, super important, super important. That in our minds, we conceptualize God as He exists in the Trinity. Father, Spirit, and Son. Self-giving, self-sacrificing love. The Father lavishes love upon the Son. The Son worships the Father. The Spirit is mediating all. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mystery who God is. And yet, even here in this passage, it's, it's laid out for us. They're there. All present. All working. God is present in all, and it's all happening through God. One of the things that I was looking at in this verse was the idea of, of measure. Um, you know, the, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love, and then this idea that it's, it's the God who's able to do immeasurably beyond what we can think or imagine. The, the thing that jumped out to me about this is that we, as, as human beings, we have a measure. I mean, I have a height and I have a weight. Uh, maybe more importantly, there's a limit to my comprehension. I'm a finite being. And yet here, Paul is talking about us being able to grasp at something that is immeasurable, something that's beyond us. What is it like when finite beings try to, try to grasp at things that are beyond them? What's it like when you do things that are beyond your ability? And this is where I think maybe the theme that stands out the most in this passage is really helpful because God is Paul is praying that the people would have power, that they would be strengthened. Along that theme, the word established and rooted comes up, and then the word power is repeated as often, uh, three times as often as the word love, but this theme actually is repeated the most throughout the the passage, but that that God would strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit. How do finite beings grasp at things that are beyond them? Well, they have to be empowered to do it somehow. Somehow. How can we do things that are beyond us? Another story from my childhood. This is my late childhood. Some might say early adulthood. Uh, But in in Castle Rock High School, we had uh, a pretty uh, great weight training program. Uh, We had a a football coach who was really, really dedicated to it. And uh, and anybody who was an athlete at Castle Rock, you needed to sign up for weight training. Your coach made sure that you got in there for weight training because because uh, it was a good experience um, my older brother was a bit of a, the bookworm he was a bit of a celebrity in the weight training room uh, but for all the wrong reasons so uh, he went in there as a six foot three freshman weighing probably hundred <laughs> and four uh, pounds and and he was famous for uh, they went in to do your your one rep maximum to start the class we got to figure out where you're at this is your benchmark and then every quarter you had to add ten pounds to that and so, um, and, and so he was in there to do his one rep maximum for bench press. And lo and behold, he could not bench the Olympic bar with no weight on it. And, uh, and I don't know if this had, ne- it's hard for me to believe this had never happened before. I mean, usually when difficult things happen, I assure myself saying, I'm not the only person who's ever left my wallet on a plane that I just got off of. I know there's got to be a policy somewhere. These kinds of things happen, right? Um, But as the story was ever related to me, this had never happened before in the history of Castle Rock High School. No no freshman boy had ever not been able to bench press 45 pounds, which 45 pounds is not a lot. So maybe it is believable that it never happened before. Um, So so he became famous. Um, Sorry, I've lost my place. Oh, so when... Because he got there and bench pressing the bar was something that was a little beyond him. It was a little too hard for him to do. When things are a little beyond you, you have one option. And that that one, op- well, you have multiple options. But one option is to just make it easier. And so thankfully in the weight room, they had a special light bar. Uh, it was typically just reserved for the girls in the class. But they had a special light bar. So my older brother was able to bench press the special bar. They made things easier easier for them we've seen this happen with the the reading the study in scripture you know modern publishers have come up with a number of like easy reader translations of scripture and and that's not that's not all bad but um (laughs) you do you do wonder at times if making something easier that's intentionally supposed to be hard maybe robs somebody of a bit of the experience there um uh, you know, I mean, you can get a Bible all the way down to the comic book version, which I, I read the comic book Bible growing up. I read that thing cover to cover. Uh, I loved it. Um, I should have counted it for my pages in the library race. It probably had to be like a real book. There's probably a rule about that. Um, anyhow, so one thing you can do is make it easier. The other thing that you can do when something is is beyond, uh, beyond your ability is... Uh, is to to not just do the easier thing, but you can always try to get stronger. You know, my older brother, Jonathan, he was famous for how weak he came into weight training, but he's most admired by me for the fact that he went in there and did it and stuck it out. He ended up doing two years of weight training his first couple of years of high school, and although he he never became a bodybuilder, he was able to bench press the bar before he left. He was able to get stronger. And not only that, but you you imagine someone who, like, who would ever sign up for that? If you were so bad at something that you became famous for being bad at it, you wouldn't show up for day two, right? But there's a strength in his character and something deeper and greater there that he persevered through. Amidst the jeers and the jokes and the insults, he endured through it and got stronger, In Paul's prayer, the Spirit is portrayed as being the one through whom we are strengthened, the one who strengthens us. When Jesus is commissioning his disciples in Luke chapter 24, uh, one of the things that he says to them, and you'll be able to read this in tomorrow's 40-day devotional verses, but in Luke 24 he says, I'm sending you to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name all the nations. It's a big thing. That's difficult. This is a big job. It's probably a little bit beyond the ability. All nations. And we're talking in a day and age that didn't, it wasn't like they could just do a YouTube channel or buy flights. Like they had to travel there on foot. It's, it's about three miles. Sorry. It's about four miles from the Roxy to my house and, and I have an e-bike that I really like to ride in the summers and and one day, this was two summers ago, I go out the back door of the Roxy on my bike and I'm riding down the alley and I realize I have a flat tire. And I was like, Ah, oh, I can't ride my new e-bike with a flat tire, I'll ruin it, right? And so I walked it home and I got about halfway home and I thought, this is so dumb, what was I thinking? I should have left my bike at the Roxy, <laughs> came back and got it with a car. Because I'm like an idiot walking my bike down the street, and they're pretty heavy. And then I got all the way home, and I was like, I'm never doing that again. Four miles. It was four miles. Jesus says to the apostles, I want you to go preach in all nations. And they didn't know about North America at that point, so maybe they didn't think about having to travel across the sea, but like, they got to walk there. they got to get there on foot. I couldn't make it four miles, and I'm never doing this again they need something this task is beyond them and he says to them though he says i'm i'm sending i'm sorry i'm going to send what my father has promised so wait in jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high you know god gets it the task is great the things that he calls us to do living a righteous and holy life before him being ambassadors of reconciliation to a broken world around us he knows it's hard. He knows it's difficult. He knows the task is beyond us. And in the same way that he promises to the disciples, help is coming. I think that promises for us too. Help is coming. So he says to them, wait until you're clothed with power on high. And, and maybe at this point you're going, okay, power on high. What is Jesus talking about, but you've been reading your Bible, you've been studying it, you remember the footnotes without needing the footnotes, and you're like, oh yes, 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 I'm remembering this conversation from John 14, where Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send you an advocate who's going to help you and be with you, sorry, sending you an advocate to help you. And he will be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. Jesus explains that this advocate is going, it actually lives with them, like is already here living with you, but is going to also be in you. I think he's talking about this new thing that God is doing where he's inviting humanity to come even closer than they've been since the garden. One great way to think about the fall of humanity is is that uh, God creates a beautiful garden for humanity to live and fellowship with him. Humanity decides to step outside of God's intention and purpose for all that to sin. And so there's, there's uh, 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 a rupture in the relationship between humanity and God. And then the story of Scripture is all about God restoring that relationship. Going, working through the circumstances of time and ancient people and ancient culture, and working through it with his own plan to bring about that intimacy again, to see it restored. Jesus says the advocate, who is the Holy Spirit, is going to teach you all things, and he's going to be, he's, he lives with you, and he's going to be in you. He's talking about this deeply present, highly personal connection that we have with God relationship that God is inviting us into this is gonna be your teacher this results in in God teaching people things and and I know what you're thinking you're thinking about Jeremiah 31 you are like oh my gosh this is it this is what they're talking about in Jeremiah 31 where he says you're no longer gonna have to teach one another because the, you're not going to have to say to one another, you should know the Lord. This is what the law is. This, is. this is how things should go. He says that, that uh, all of God's people are going to know the Lord. They won't need teachers because the Lord is going to be their teacher. When Jesus says, Holy Spirit's going to be your teacher, it's like, bing, the alarms go off. The disciples are like, oh my gosh, it's Jeremiah 31. It's happening right here, right now. I can't believe it. The Spirit who lives with them is going to dwell in their hearts, be in them, and teach them. And then as we hold this role of teacher and advocate in our minds, we're going to embrace this other thing that is being brought up now. This idea of power. The Holy Spirit isn't just your teacher and your advocate. He's with you, He's in you, and He is power. He's like the weightlifting partner who's stronger than you. The one who strengthens you in order to empower you to do things that you never dreamed were possible. You think about the things that God empowers his people to do in the book of Acts, and the things that come to my mind are the miracles right away. Like, oh man, and Peter healed the lame man, and They escaped from prison. The chains fell off. You're like, that's what it is when the Holy Spirit is present. And I 100% fully expected to, to move from where we've been to talking about that. The people of God living empowered lives. But as I was reading the scriptures for whichever time, enough times for things to click for me, I felt like, I saw something this week that I never saw before. So the disciples wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to show up. After Jesus says these words, wait until you've been clothed in power. They hang out for a few weeks. The Holy Spirit shows up. There's, there's tongues of fire. There's rushing wind. You know, there's a whole bit. And then Peter stands up and he boldly proclaims the gospel. Oh, this is the part you've probably heard before, but the, the, the guy who a few weeks earlier is afraid when Jesus is arrested and, and a, a lowly servant girl at a campfire says to him at one point, you were with Jesus, and he's so nervous, he's so scared, he denies Christ. I've never, I've never heard of the man. I don't know who you're talking about. This guy stands up in Jerusalem and says, this is the work of God, and Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So there's strength, there's, there's boldness there. And that's one of the changes that is brought up is, look, when the Holy Spirit is moving in your life and empowering you, you have boldness to proclaim the gospel. But I caught another change that just jumped out to me this week. So in Acts chapter 2, all of that stuff happens, the Holy Spirit falls. And for the rest of the time that Scripture talks about the disciples, the 12 disciples, there is no record of them arguing with one another over petty things. And if you are familiar with the stories of the Gospels at all, you know that one of the things that Jesus has to deal with constantly is his disciples arguing over who's the most important, arguing over positions in the kingdom of God, vying with one another for power and influence. Could it be that the Holy Spirit can be present in our lives in such a way, so as to help us get over our own pride. Our own self-seeking ambitions. Over our, our own pettiness with the things in life. Yes, they went, afraid from, they went from being afraid to being empowered. And, and, but maybe more importantly, in terms of its impact on the church, they also went from squabbling to unity. They went from competition with one another to cooperation. They went from seeking self-promotion to promoting others. As the disciples are organizing the church in the book of Acts, one of of the first things they do is promote seven people from among themselves to oversee the the, the mercy ministry that was going on in the church to manage the resources that the church had at the time. And I'd never thought about it this way before, but... um, but on the 83rd time of reading the book of Acts, the deacons that appear in Acts chapter 6, they, it's not just a lesson to us about good church organization or who should be doing what, but it speaks to us about the, how the Holy Spirit can deliver 12 really flawed men, well, 11 at this point, that can deliver them from their inner squabbling and their power grabs and their you know, bickering, and their need to be in control of everything, and it can turn them into people who work together in unity to promote other people and to empower others to be who God has called them to be and to do what God has called them to do. The Spirit transforms the disciples into people who can let go of control, people who can recognize gifts and abilities in other people, And they can empower their brothers and sisters into serving the kingdom in meaningful ways. If you think about it, you you can forget about the miracles and and the healing and and those kinds of things. It's beyond us. But if we're too spiritually weak to to be humble, to be loving towards one another, to be other-centered to consider others as more worthy than ourselves, if we're too spiritually weak to do those kinds of things, to do that kind of lifting, then what is the point of power evangelism, to get people to come in and join our group? If there's no transformation in our own hearts, what is the point of more people coming in to join our dysfunctional church? (laughs) I've been a part of church life long enough to, to know that, that this, the self-seeking, the vying for positions, the lack of humility, the need that maybe individuals have to be important, that causes far more damage in the church than, than the lack of miracles or the lack of you know, tongues of fire and rushing wind. I mean, I, that stuff's important too, but let's get into the nuts and bolts of what makes us dysfunctional as the people of God. And if the Holy Spirit can empower us to address those issues, wouldn't that be something? You know, if the Holy Spirit can make the 12 disciples the kinds of people who do the unified, other-centered, empowering work in the book of Acts chapter 6, then it should give us a lot of hope for our own church life, right? So this is where, have you ever noticed something and then you can't help but notice it everywhere? Has that ever happened to you? This kind of thing starts to happen if you, if you begin to really dive in and read Scripture carefully. So I, I have this epiphany from Acts chapter 6. The Spirit comes in power and, and works, and that's post-Pentecost. But then I realized something. I noticed that our beloved disciples actually promote somebody... To be one of their equals in acts chapter one there's this story of of this guy matthias becoming one of the twelve they have a meeting after jesus has ascended to heaven they're waiting for power to come they're waiting for the holy spirit and they had a little bit of downtime and so in their downtime they said you know what judas is dead he was one of the 12 we need a 12th person there was 12 tribes of israel we feel like there's something important about this somebody needs to come in and take his place In in a rare moment of unity, the 11 men who were fighting for who was going to be the greatest for the last three years, take somebody who was lesser than them and make him an equal. And you would say, well, that doesn't count because it's before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. But what did Jesus say to them in John 14? He said, the Spirit lives with you and is going to be in you. So we know, when we have evidence. The Spirit's already at work, right? The Spirit was at work long before Pentecost. <laughs> He'll continue to be at work long after. But what we are seeing is that inner transformation taking place inside the disciples already. And isn't it interesting that, that bringing this group of men into unity with one another, stripping them of their self seeking ambition and their, and their pride, and, and making them the kind of people who say, let's take a less than and make them equal to us, that precedes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Can the Holy Spirit be with us in this kind of a way? Man, I really hope so. Can he really empower us for that kind of soul searching Christianity? Following Jesus, not reading scripture to figure out what I'm, how I'm justified and what I'm doing, but reading the scripture, letting it speak to my heart and realizing, oh man, I am so deeply convicted over the life that I am living in violation of God's word. I need to live differently. I really believe that he can. I really believe that's the kind of power that Paul was praying for along with you know, the healing, the walking on water, like that's all an important part of the package. But if God's, if, if, the, if the Holy Spirit cannot transform what's in here, if he can't help us to do the heavy lifting in here, then all of the things that we are endeavoring to do out there, I, I just think it's a waste of our time. It's a waste of our time. So any of you who have ever spent time Pondering over what's broken inside or pondering over the heavy burdens that you have to carry. uh, This is the assurance that you don't have to do it alone. God has clothed you with power from on high. The Holy Spirit lives with you. And now in the fullness of time is in you to do this kind of heavy lifting. Man, I keep talking too long, and you don't have time for small group discussions. But that's all right, because I have one other thing I want to say. <laughs> what does that look like? So the question came up in our 40 Days for Fullness discussion group. Um, that uh, The question came up about how, how do we balance our time? Uh, we were talking about sacrifice this last week. And so as you talk about Christian sacrifice, topics of like, Self-care and, and balance in life, work-life balance, ministry-life balance. These important questions all come up. And uh, and and of course, if you're anything like me, you, you have loaded yourself with an arsenal of verses. So if someone's coming and telling you that you aren't taking enough Sabbath, you'll tell them, look, my father has been at work since the beginning of time. He's never slept nor slumbered. I'll be at work with him. And if someone's coming to you saying, you lazy dog, get back to work. You're like, look, one out of seven, we take a break to rest. So I'm here for 24 hours. Come and see me tomorrow. So if you're like me, you've loaded yourself up with all these verses and you can argue either way. And and, and it's always more fun to use the verses to tell other people how they're doing it wrong than to just tell yourself others why you're doing it right. Because why should I even need to explain myself to you? But, um, but you're loaded with that stuff. So what do you do? And... Uh, And it was like, this is why you have the Holy Spirit. This is why you have the Spirit of God in you. Because trying to discern in those moments, and with questions like that, what exactly am I supposed to do? This is why He's there. He's committed to be with you, and to help you lift that weight of discernment. His power is transforming. And he is a teacher, and he has good answers for you. He has good instruction for you. And it, it may be a little bit of a pastor's cop-out. I'll own it to be like, look, you have the Holy Spirit. You figure it out. Especially if people are coming to me for, what do you think, James? I think you have the Holy Spirit. We can talk about what Scripture says, but there are difficult and hard things that and paths that God is leading you to. How to minister to those people that you don't even feel any kind of connection to or any idea of how to minister to the sacrifices you know as you're looking at sacrifice and you're weighing your your resources your time your talents and you're going i don't know and the spirit guides you in that helps you to do things that you never imagined were possible this is who he's meant to be in our lives let's pray and then we'll come to the lord's table for communion lord We are so thankful that you have uh, not given us these tasks to do on our own. But you have sent the advocate, the comforter, the teacher, the Holy Spirit to be with us and to live in us. God, it is a marvel that you have invited humanity into this kind of relationship with you. Something that's so close it happens on our inside. Lord, who are we that we would be invited into this holy place? Thank you for taking up residence inside of us. Thank you for uh, seeing us as a fit home temple for your Holy Spirit. I just pray that for each of us today, we would... We would just be renewed in our comprehension of your presence in our lives and in our experience of your presence in our lives. Holy Spirit, from your vantage point dwelling inside of us, search our hearts. If there is any wicked way inside of us, speak to our hearts. We want to be people who are following your voice and obeying you and being transformed by your presence in our lives. We just look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.